0: Installation requires only a screwdriver. So ditch those house keys forever and give Eufy Video Lock a try today. There's no monthly fee and Eufy Video Lock has customer support on standby 247 to help you with any and all home security needs. Go ahead, have your home fun in the sun with the assurance your home is in good hands with Eufy Video Lock. Eufy Video Lock's built-in camera can tell you who's at your front door from the comfort of your poolside chair. So search Eufy Video Lock today. That's E-U-F-Y Video Lock. Or visit ufeofficialcom slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. That's Ufy Video Lock, a proud sponsor of this, the Talk of Champions Podcast Network. Business owners, did you know you can support Ole Miss Athletics every time you accept a debit or credit card payment? That's right, Impact by Ironwood offers the best debit and credit card payments processing tools around, and they'll donate a portion of their profits to the Ole Miss Athletics Foundation in your name. The best part is you don't have to spend an extra dime to get exclusive member benefits, earn donor priority points, and support your Ole Miss Rebels. To learn more, call 1-833-GO-TEAMS. That's 1-833-GO-TEAMS. Or go to www.impactolmiss.com. Make a difference, make an impact. You're listening to Talk of Champions, an Ole Miss Spirit podcast
1: with Ben Garrett.
0: This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Ben on Twitter. He's Colin Brister at Colin Brister. Today's guest on Talk of Champions player i've been looking for trying to track down for quite some time it's Marche green former old miss defensive back coming up on the modern women phone line but first colin what's up man
1: not much i I did not win the lottery for the 12th week in a row i didn't win the lottery so uh, old miss recruiting goes on as normal
0: do you do scratch-offs
1: uh yeah actually i do i won 20 bucks today on that so my lottery tickets took care of themselves
0: they do just enough to keep you coming back that's the problem yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. I'm probably even on scratch-offs. Probably even.
0: I love scratch-offs, but to me, they're like golf. $20 here, you get a little bit better putting there, and that's what keeps you going back, but it never truly pays <laughs> off. It's for the hope of no. it eventually paying off.
1: No, and I do the thing like where you scratch the numbers up top, and then you scratch the numbers down bottom and, and you see if you have a match and you don't scratch off much, you win. So uh-huh. you're just praying when you scratch off how much you win that, you know, maybe it's $5,000 or something.
0: See, I always buy it's the ones that's like tic-tac-toe to get $1,000. And I always oh, okay. come up one okay. number short because I think for some reason in my brain, this is me rationalizing the fricking lottery. I think in my brain, okay, if I do the $1,000 one, that's a better chance than the normal lottery.
1: No, I'm with you there. I'm with you there.
0: I have a better chance of winning a thousand bucks on this tuesday than ever winning a million dollars it never pays <laughs> off but it's the hope of paying off yeah but Ole miss um on tuesday announced a home and home series with south alabama going to a group of five school after they come here return date what do you think of that
1: okay so i mean a couple different points of view uh everybody's like well you know, why Why are we traveling to these schools? Well, you just went to Memphis last year. And I know, you know, South Alabama is not Memphis, but they're essentially both group of five schools. Um, it's Mobile on a Labor Day weekend, so you can drive on over to Gulf Shores or, or, you know, whatever. I kind of like it. I don't mind it. I, 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 I think that Ole Miss is going to go down this road a little bit more, and I think that's probably smart. It saves a lot of money, and I'm all for Ole Miss making
0: more money. First of all, these games aren't until 2028. In 2029, yeah. with coronavirus, yeah. the way the world's going right now, to assume anything for 2028 and <laughs> 2029. But when you look at the scheduled opponents for the next handful of years, you got USC in 2025 and 2026, Oregon State in 2027, 28 29, South Alabama, Oregon State to return there in 2030, then at Virginia Tech in 2032. Oh, my God. I will be 46 <laughs> years old. Yes, sir. When all this yes, goes to Virginia Tech, I'm stuck here now. So when I look at <laughs> 2032, Virginia Tech, I'll be going to Blacksburg at 46 years old.
1: Uh, you don't think that you know you can make it kill the stock market? Maybe be retired by
0: 45. You and I just got done talking about scratch offs. <laughs> <laughs> so no. <laughs> oh my God! I just had an existential crisis in real time. On this podcast.
1: I'll get to witness it.
0: 2033 Purdue, 34 at Purdue, and then 37 Virginia Tech at home. (sighs) Look, I
1: I know that uh, you don't want to broadcast too far out in the future, but I say whatever year that they play Purdue, Purdue will probably still suck.
0: Yeah, probably. I can't be a person that I think last week advocates for Ole Miss scheduling softer and then turn around and bitch about them having to travel in a home-and-home series to South Alabama. I would much prefer to do that than for Ole Miss to schedule a home-and-home against Baylor, which they have a better chance of losing. But for the casual fan, you'd much prefer to play Baylor because it means more to you as a trip. You make a mini vacation out of it. But if you're thinking logistically and for bettering Ole Miss's chances to win and put together a winning season, knowing that the conference schedule is going to be tough enough that if you're good and you only have one loss, you're going to be in the playoff discussion Ole Miss is a long way away from this, but still. The trip to Austin would almost beat the crap out of Texas was a lot of fun. And that's what all Ole Miss fans remember. They don't remember getting their teeth kicked in by Texas the year before.
1: Right. Um, and, you know, I've had friends that, you know, when I talk about scheduling, and, you know, I'm, I'm with you, I think Ole Miss should schedule easier. Their point is, like you said, that, you know, look, if you're not competing for a national championship, going out to Los Angeles and, you know, maybe it cost you a bowl game. Um, you know, you view the game in Los Angeles as your bowl game, so so some people view it like that, and I get that because you know, hey, maybe going to Los Angeles is probably a lot more fun than going to Birmingham at six and six. I understand that
0: point yeah, of view. That's a good point.
1: Yeah, but at the same time, I think Ole Miss should always schedule and look. I get it; they've never done it. I think Ole Miss should always schedule so to put themselves in position to make the playoff and win the national title. Yeah, and I think. And I think by doing that is to schedule the four easiest non-conference games you can schedule.
0: Like in Eli's year when he went 10-3, and three, they'd have probably only lost to LSU had they not played Memphis and Texas Tech. Right, absolutely. If you're Ole Miss, and yes, you're not going to compete every single year for a championship, at least load up in your schedule for that one year when you have a shot. But it's a good point. If you're not going to be in national championship contention, at least get the trip to L.A. in the year. Because I would prefer that than going to the Birmingham Bowl, whatever it's called, the BBVA Conference sure. Bowl, whatever it's renamed now.
1: The Southern fans got the rocks off on on. Uh, I guess it was Tuesday when it was announced. Said, you know, you'll go to South Alabama. Why well, won't you to go to Hattiesburg? And I'm like, you know, why they won't go to Hattiesburg?
0: <laughs> they have it's nothing like, to gain going to Hattiesburg.
1: Well, their argument then becomes, what do you have to gain by going to South Alabama?
0: Nothing, but there probably isn't the chance, or there isn't any probably to it. There's no chance of national embarrassment and local and statewide embarrassment if they lose to South Alabama.
1: And that's why I don't think they're going to play Memphis again. They shouldn't. No, I agree.
0: If you lose to South Alabama, State did it. It was embarrassing for two weeks, and everybody forgot about it. If you lose to Southern Miss, no one's forgetting about it. It's probably the picture that covers their front cover of their media guide the next year.
1: Yeah, let's just keep it real. Um, almost could have lost to Southern Miss the past two years.
0: Yeah, and that's why it's yeah. never <laughs> advantageous to play Memphis ever. No. Memphis can be. you.
1: Let beat me ask you. you this, and I know it's not a bigger stage. Do you think? Wh- what do you think the thought process is to playing them in baseball? Then
0: you don't have to travel far. <laughs>
1: i guess that's true yeah midweek games okay fair enough
0: yeah that's all it is for Ole miss baseball they don't have the travel budget of Ole miss football
1: sure sure agreed okay
0: it was actually quite surprising when they went out to california a couple years ago
1: yeah long beach they've been out there a few times yeah um went to ucla i guess later 2000s um yeah, I mean, they always want to do that road trip. I'm interested just on baseball real quick to see if that Texas tournament to start the year where they play TCU-Texas and uh, Texas Tech, if they actually make that happen or if they have to back out of that due to the virus.
0: Is Major League Baseball really going to screw this up and not have a season? Absolutely. I, I have moved on to the 2021 Major League season.
1: Oh, man. I have moved on. I mean, you saw that proposal, man. Like, they're they're not even close to, you know, agreeing to it. And, you know, I don't want to spend a ton of time on this, but, okay, I'm Clayton Kershaw or I'm Max Scherzer, and I'm owed $32 million this year, and you're going to pay me seven and a half. Well, I'm just not going to play. I'm going to stick that year and save my arm for a year and add that year on to, you know, an extra year of my career. I'll just sit out for a year. Like, I don't think there's incentive for guys like that to play.
0: I don't like the whole – online narrative I've seen it's been happening since the 90s it's the greedy players it's the greedy players oh, no God. it's the greedy owners that's when it comes down <laughs> to the players already made concessions in March significant concessions and now the owners have come back and they want more for any owner to ever cry poverty it's complete hogwash but they've completely brainwashed a lot of the populace to believe that the players are the enemy no the owners are the enemy. Major League Baseball yep. made, what, $40 billion in profits last year? And let me ask you this. good example is the Atlanta Braves. Now, the Atlanta Braves, they're paying the salaries of their employees and all their essential workers or just the workers in general. The Atlanta Braves last year saw a significant spike in profits and revenue because the Braves were winning, the battery, all that stuff. How much of that money do you think they poured back into payroll? Zero. You have fans arguing, oh, well, you don't want uh, the team to get tied up financially. That's an owner's talking point. That's all that is. They have (laughs) the money. They just don't want to spend it because it's all about their own profit, their own greedy accumulation of wealth. And it would be going against the union's entire purpose to not collectively bargain in favor of the players. So stop saying the players are greedy. No, it's the owners that are greedy. And if baseball doesn't happen, and I'm with you, I don't think it's going to happen. And that's devastating for the sport. Oh, it's,
1: it's awful. Well, I mean, just look, Walker Buehler, uh, one of the best pitchers in baseball. He's going to make, I don't know, $200,000 and live in Los Angeles. Like, look, I get it. $200,000 is plenty to live in Los Angeles. We're talking about a dude that throws a 99 mile an hour fastball here. Like, He's not going to be living the high life in Los Angeles with these pay cuts. So I don't necessarily feel bad for the players, and I get people's rationale. If they make millions of dollars, I don't feel feel bad for them either. I also don't think they should take a 70% pay
0: cut. It's a straw, man. I saw somebody say, oh, look at these greedy millionaires who play pitching catch. It isn't just pitching catch. You can't throw the ball 95 miles an hour, okay? You can't. You can't hit a devastating slider, a devastating curve. You can't. They're at a different playing level than you ever thought about being. And they've done this and gotten to this place because of hard work and talent, all of it. They've earned the right to make this money. The reason they make this money is because they're so good and you want to watch them play. So, yes, the fans, they support Major League Baseball. They're the ones that no fans, no game. Yes, of course. But why are there fans? Because you don't want to go see Ben Garrett flail at a slider. You want to see Joey Gallo hit a ball 550 feet. It's the owner's fault. Mike Soroka, fresh off of a four-win war season, in this proposal by the owners, would be making $300,000 less than the league minimum. Nothing turns capitalists into socialists like sports. Capitalists, they all believe you're supposed to make as much money as you can. It's the free market. Well, this is the free market. Unions are good. They're inherently good. But no, no, we gotta have a season. It's the greedy. It's the owners. They suck. This happens. You're yep. killing the sport, and that kills college baseball too. Yep, yep. Absolutely,
1: it trickles down. Maybe the whole thing trickles. Down. But anyways, no. uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I love it. I love uh, yeah, it. Yeah. MLB viewership's not what it needs to be. I think we can all acknowledge that. Um, so, it, I think you're right. It's going to lose fans, and who's that more devastating? Stating for going forward, the players that are under contract are the billionaire owners. I think I have my answer to that. Players yeah. under contract.
0: Yeah, but the NBA coming back, NHL coming back. The question is whether or not fans are going to be able to be in attendance. You had the Miami Dolphins owner, Stephen Ross, come out and say there will 100% be an NFL season. I don't think anybody thought that there wouldn't be. It's best equipped of any of yeah. the major sports to come back because it doesn't need necessarily fans in the stands. It doesn't need it. TV is such nope, a monster earner for the NFL. They don't need it. But college football has to have it. College football, they're starting to bring student-athletes back on campus. But I saw this from Iowa State. They released on Tuesday yeah. social distancing guidelines, which actually made a lot of sense.
1: Yeah, the 30,000. And I think – I'm not going to put you know my thoughts out there just yet, but I don't think it's unlikely that Ole Miss does something like that.
0: I think every school will. But one school had to go first. Yeah, that was the thing. Somebody's
1: got to break the ice at some point.
0: It'd have been fun to see Ole Miss lead the way on that. It doesn't matter. At least one school did, and it was Iowa State. And I liked the idea, and it would be tough for Ole Miss because Ole Miss is already hurting financially because of the NCAA stuff and having to dip into its reserve fund, its emergency fund. They're not really set up all that well after the end of the fiscal year in June, meaning they have to get these student-athletes back on campus, which shows you again that these student-athletes aren't the same as students should not be treated as such because of how much they mean to the university and the money that they make. So all of you out there saying, Oh, they get room and board. No, they have proven through the COVID-19 pandemic that they're worth more than regular students. So treat them that way and give them their money. Anyway, I like the idea though of 30,000 people in the stands, socially distanced, taking your temperature coming in. You have to wear a mask. If I told everybody in the world today, not in the world, in the United States, because this has not happened all across the world. In the United States, every person, you have to wear a mask. It's the most basic, basic request. Wear a mask every day outside around people for six months. That's it. That's the entire sacrifice. And you'll get every sport back this minute. The vast majority would be okay with that. So if they have to wear a mask, it's only 30,000 in the stands. Come the fall, okay, fine. It's just about getting sports back for me at this point because I don't want to get in the yep. political shit. It's just about getting sports back.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I would do whatever they yeah. ask to get sports back. And, and, like, I don't go to a ton of football games. I haven't been to one, I think, since 2017. Um, so I'm, I'm not your you know target audience here, but I feel like, you know, if, if people – People would wear their masks regardless of their political stance on it or not. And I don't know how in the hell we figured out political stances on masks. That'll never make When did sense that
0: become a part of the stupid culture war? Uh, it's like God, everyone forgot t- basic empathy. It's not about you, man. It's not about you. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's always about, I don't want to get into it. I'm just not going to do it. But yeah. Iowa State, 30,000 season <laughs> tickets, only season ticket holders will be able to go to the games. No single game tickets sold. So if you're Ole Miss and you follow these guidelines. Think about the value of a ticket (laughs) that will be sold. I mean, Mm -hmm. the the amount of demand that will be out there. And so you can use this, even though it's strict guidelines, to your advantage and get football back. And that's all that matters.
1: Does that make season ticket prices higher?
0: In the free market, capitalists, in the free market, the demand will be so significant the supply not so much. 30,000 people would buy that easy.
1: Now, your problem is going to be is we sure we're going to play
0: 12 games? If you start, and that's the big thing, when and if they start, they cannot stop. Because if you stop, no, it ain't coming back, back for well over a year. Then you really hurt. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you're coming back or ever recovering from that. I just wonder what will that's happen to the Title IX sports at Ole Miss. Because you've seen other schools already cut some of those sports. They can't cut any. I was talking to, I
1: think, somebody that knows what they're talking about the other day. They have 16, and that's the minimum you can have to, to be FBS. Yes. they got to keep them.
0: Okay. But I do like the social distancing guidelines of Iowa State. I thought that was a good. Yeah, first oh, I absolutely step. agreed. Yeah. 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 And the NHL's um, format for coming back was awesome. Awesome.
1: I didn't see it. I need to go look at that. Okay.
0: Yeah. 2014 playoff.
1: <laughs> okay. How many teams are in the NHL, first off, so I can get a baseline?
0: We'll get right back to Colin Brister in this edition of Talk of Champions, as well as get to Marche Green in just a little bit on the Modern Women phone line after I tell you briefly about Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford and Cheney's Pharmacy. We're all doing whatever we can to survive quarantine, right? It can be tough. We're making purchases to keep our sanity, to keep us happy. Maybe you're going on Amazon, hit an add to cart purchase. Maybe, just maybe, you're in the market for a new car. And if you are, I know the place you should go. The only place you should go. And that's Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford. From new and used sales to parts and service, Alan Samuels of Oxford aims to provide a truly stellar automotive experience. But what separates Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford from every other dealership is Alan Samuels aims to address each of your needs with the utmost respect, care, and attention to detail. Most everyone who's listened to this podcast should know by now I only vouch for sponsors I truly believe in. If I myself have not had a personal experience with any sponsor, They're not going to be on this podcast. And my longest relationship is with Alan Samuel's Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford. Why? Because I can't say enough good things about Brian and Mason and the rest of the team. I don't like to haggle. I don't like to negotiate. I don't like the whole process of buying a car. With Alan Samuel's Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford, you can avoid all of that. They're looking out for you. So give them a call today, 662-234-8000. You can stop by and see them at 2201 East University Avenue. That's just past Kroger. Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford. The only place to find your perfect car, truck, or Jeep. Alan Samuels, let's be friends. Self-isolation, quarantine has brought about its own set of problems. Don't let your pharmacy be one of them. Chinese Pharmacy, they've earned your trust. You can count on them. Cheney's Pharmacy offers prescription synchronization, immunizations, compounding, a two-lane drive-through, and available hours that ensure your needs are met on your own time. Cheney's also accepts all third-party insurance. It's a locally owned pharmacy that has been in Oxford over 40 years. Cheney's Pharmacy provides the best customer service out there, hands down. Give Cheney's a call, 662-234-7221, or go visit them at 501 Bramlett Boulevard. That's right off of University Avenue. They're open 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Monday through Saturday, 1 p.m. to 9 p.m. on Sundays. You can find them online at cheneyspharmacy.com. We've all got our own set of problems. Don't let your pharmacy be one of them. Cheney's Pharmacy, much more than just a pharmacy. 31.
1: Okay. So 31 or 24, 31. So you got seven scrub squads.
0: In two hub cities, that's where these teams will go against each other in this playoff. I love it. I like that. So the regular season's done it's done yeah okay okay i like that get creative with it major league baseball get creative with it college football now college football and college athletics in general they needed pro sports to go out in front to take the lead i get that i really do yep but you can get creative with this stuff at the end of the day we're the ones that created the damn rules man if you want to mix it up a little bit go for it don't stopping you mix it up if college yeah. football yep. said you know what just do a conference schedule. We're going to start in October. Conference schedule, if you had any game before October, it's going to be tagged on at the end. That would actually make you and me happy because then State gets a little bit devalued.
1: <laughs> Can you imagine State having to roll in and play Tulane the next week after they lost the Egg Bowl?
0: Oh, my God. Oh, you're saying they're losing the Egg Bowl. <laughs> Breaking news! I was presenting a
1: hypothetical. I mean, if I had to pick today, I would pick Ole Miss. But um Can you imagine that, though? Like, they lose a 24-20 to game to Ole Miss and have to roll in and play Tulane in front of 18 people at Davis Wade.
0: What will the Egg Bowl even look like? Will they even play it on Thanksgiving night?
1: Yeah, they're going to play that thing on Thanksgiving (laughs) night. Oh, God.
0: (laughs) Full disclosure, Colin and me are recording late at night. I've had a little bit of a dramatic evening. I'm a little bit supercharged, Okay. And I say that to say, the Egg Bowl on Thanksgiving is an absolute travesty. That is a disaster of a game.
1: Okay, and and I agree with you. Um, I, I want it off Thanksgiving. Here's my question. What game would you put on Thanksgiving that is not a travesty?
0: I don't care. <laughs> it just can't be the Egg Bowl. Because we
1: got to have something on Thanksgiving night that we should always have.
0: If you're Greg Sankey... If you're an NCAA administrator, how can you watch that game on Thanksgiving and not be embarrassed? If you're a member yeah, of this different. rivalry, a fan of this rivalry, how can you not watch that, that rivalry game on Thanksgiving night and not be embarrassed? Why do you want a national yeah, stage for look, this right now? Look, this rivalry deserves, at this point, with the way these two fan bases, mostly from one side, we've already gotten into that this week. The way this rivalry has gone, this rivalry deserves to be depressed. It deserves to be moved off of Thanksgiving, put at 11 a.m. on a Saturday. Screw it. Make everybody by force chill the frick out.
1: I don't disagree. Um, how can you look at what happened in 2017 and start where, you know, you have pregame fights and you have a brawl in 2018 and you lose a game because you'd take a dog piss in 2019. Which every, every Ole Miss is
0: totally cool with. I just want to remind everybody.
1: Yeah, no, no, no. Uh, I got a- picture sent of of the dog piss like in gold and a statue outside of Vault Hemingway. I thought it was the funniest thing ever. But anyways, um yeah, I mean how can you look at that and not be somewhat embarrassed? I mean I I was. Um 2017 wasn't a good look, even though Ole Miss won the football game. I mean, you know, you got pregame fights and you, know, you get dd Bowie, you know, throwing hands before the game. Like I, I just I don't know. It's not been a good look the past thirty yeah. years.
0: But my whole thing is college football is going to look different, but at least you're now starting to see the results of what has seemingly been months of negotiations or discussions from all parties involved. And that's encouraging if you're a college football fan. I loved hearing Stephen Ross come out and definitively say there's going to be a football season because there's going to be a football season. There is. Yes. The question was whether or not it was just going to be the NFL or the NFL and college football. But the NFL coming out and saying, we're going to do this, and the NFL taking the lead and showing with the draft, which I thought was an incredible accomplishment in television. No matter what you thought about it, I thought it was incredible the way they pulled that off. Yeah, Trey Wingo can be a little annoying in some things and whatever, but that's nitpicking. (laughs) They pulled off a hell of a feat in a matter of weeks to get that thing done, and it proved that it can be done. You can't be scared of it. In college football, it's the same thing. We know, college football, that you cannot operate with no fans whatsoever. Yes, you would prefer to have 60,000 packed into a stadium. That is not going to happen. It is way too soon to say in August, September, you're going to have 60,000 fans in a stadium. But you can come out and safely say, these are what are the rules and guidelines for right now. It is subject to change. We would prefer to have full capacity. We're hoping to get to that point, but based on the information we have now and seeing that the NFL and Major League Baseball, not Major League Baseball, I'm sorry, but the NBA and the (laughs) NHL, all of these different leagues are starting to show that they're opening up and here are the guidelines, here are what they're following. This is what we're going to do based on that information, and it's subject to change. And you know me, I'm very rules-oriented when it comes to this stuff. I'm all about the safety, and look, we need to be testing everybody, contact tracing, all that stuff. The way to get the economy back rolling, the way to get sports back rolling is to take care of the health crisis. So for me, I want them to take care of it, but let's stop pretending like we have to be scared of moving forward and what's potentially to come in the fall. You can now look at the information and say, it's safe to assume we can follow these particular guidelines. So get out in front of it. If you're Ole Miss, get out there and say what you want to do. And I know Ole Miss is going to be a little tough, but get out there and say what you want to do. I agree. Let me ask you this. Um, do you
1: think it's a matter of people sitting too close together or a an a, amount of people in one area? And I ask that because of this. What do you think the pavilion looks like in November? If, if you know, if we're are we only letting six thousand in there or because it's twelve thousand capacity, we're going to fill that thing up?
0: I don't know. And, and I don't mean to be flippant, and I don't mean to – because I don't have any answers. I don't. This is a podcast right. where we just talk. We're just shooting the shit about this stuff. We don't really know. We don't know. Isn't us reporting? Got Marseille Green coming up in a minute. <laughs> but we don't know what we're talking about. We're just spitballing here based on information. I don't know how you do it, but I look at, for example, Universal's opening up, right, in Orlando. Right. Disney World and SeaWorld are about to start opening up, too. They're about to propose – Some different guidelines for how they're going to open back up, and what they're doing at Universal is separating people in line, and then they're also leaving seats open on the rides. Disney World, I've heard, from my wife, I've heard like (laughs) I got this sort. I heard this from my wife. (laughs) All right, apparently at Disney World, they're going to effectively schedule when you're supposed to get on a ride and text you or something or buzz you when it's time to go get on the ride.
1: Maybe that's just a good idea in general.
0: Well, thank you. That's what my <laughs> response was. I was <laughs> man, like, well, what the hell? Man? If think they've had this capability, what are we doing? It's like it's the same thing with uh, all these Zoom calls and stuff You know, that coaches are going on. We all knew that you didn't have to be out there or at the office all day.
1: Oh, don't get me started on that. I, I went into the office and did so much meaningless work yes. that I could have done from my couch.
0: Oh, my God. Okay, I'll never forget that. I've never told this story. Everybody knows that my first job out of college was working in the Sunbelt Conference Media Relations office. Right. I loved a couple of the people there. I hated that job. Hated the dude I worked for. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) one day, because I thought about this every day, sitting at my desk, dressed up in a suit for what? No, I knew I was there, right? No one's reading this crap. I'm writing feature stories about the Sunbelt. I one time wrote a story about twins that played soccer at Denver. How many people do you think read that story? Because we could see the analytics. Guess! 17. Oh, it's close. 24. That's close. <laughs> you know how <laughs> devastating in general it is to put a lot of work into something and 24 people read it?
1: <laughs> All right. So <laughs> you've got <laughs> twins, you got their mom, you got their dad. So that's four. That's,
0: that's family and friends, your mom, buddy. Your mom and dad probably read it. So. No, they didn't. <laughs> I know they didn't. But anyway, so I'm doing this meaningless work, dressed in a suit. I'm sitting behind the desk all day, stuffing my face, getting fat and writing terrible stories. And every day I thought, why am I doing this? This this is unnecessary. I could do this from home. No, you got to come into work with the dude I worked for. Say, oh, you got, no, we require you. We have it all, the whatever. But one day, I guess it was like my own personal protest. I slept in. Because I saw a couple of Uh people in there. Well, I saw a couple of people in there but they were actually officials in the administration or they were media relations assistants or representatives, whatever. I saw them come uh-huh. in at like nine 30 and I'm like, hell, why am I coming in at eight? So yeah, <laughs> I slept till about nine. I was going to come in at nine 30. I lived right across the street from the place. I got a call. Where, where are you? Where, uh-huh. where are you then? It just proves though, man, you don't have to work in an office all day. Disney World now, as you're talking about with this ticket thing, if they basically treat you like a restaurant does and buzz you when it's time to ride your ride, why have we not been doing this? Why have we not been (laughs) doing this Zoom call recruiting? It's like these virtual tours. Kermit was on the podcast last week. He talked about these virtual tours. Yes, of course, you want kids on campus and to see the campus and all that kind of stuff. But you could have been doing this new age recruiting for a long time. What are we even doing? Somebody could have made a lot of money doing all that. God, if we had invented Zoom. Shit, if we'd have had (laughs) stockings. Just give me some stock. We've been brainwashed into thinking. It's a very American thing, too. Because, you know, in like Rome or anywhere in Italy, quite frankly, pretty much their work day ends at like three in the afternoon. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. In America, yeah, they tell you you got to be at work
0: at eight and work till five. <laughs> I don't know how we got here, but I'm glad we did. I know. <laughs> Yeah, how you doing, people out there? How's your quarantine going? Mine's not going particularly well anymore. I'm kind of burnt out.
1: Yeah, this see, this is the week. like So they're my favorite two weeks of the year, the SEC Baseball Tournament and the NCAA Baseball Tournament. And I'm struggling this week. I'm hurting. They put I'm not going like, to lie.
0: The golf stuff didn't last. I bought a golf cart. I was all into it. Then I played in a tournament. And Chase Palmer, Brian Scott Rippy. they came into town. We all played in a tournament. And we spent all day on the golf course, like 9.30 till 6 in the afternoon. Oh, dear God. I hadn't played since. I just have had no desire to do it. It's been like a week. It's
1: kind of like me. It's kind of like me with the Like, I just i have quit playing. I I can't get past a certain level, and it's like, what are we
0: doing? Yeah, I just – I've been playing NCAA football on my PlayStation. My wife laid it down on me the other day. Not – okay, that sounded dirty. That's what she said. But (laughs) she said to me, she was like, all you've been doing the last couple of days is working – and then playing video games, then working, then playing video games, then going out to eat with us, and then coming back and working and playing video games. Like, yeah, yeah, that's absolutely right. She's like, well, you can come with us. We're going outside. to, So the, we have this little waiting pool for the girls. And the girls yeah, yeah. love it. But what am I going to do, sit in the sun and stare at them? <laughs> I'm trying to recruit to East Carolina. <laughs> All right. Well, Marce's coming up in just a second. I guess that's it. This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Pit on Twitter. He's Colin Brester. At Colin Brister, if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, review, Talk of Champions on iTunes. Also available in SoundCloud and Spotify. Just simply search Talk of Champions. I write for the Ole Miss Spirit, omspirit.com, an affiliate of 247 Sports. Going to go now to the Modern Women phone line to hear from Marche Green, former Ole Miss defensive back. That's a name for you there, Colin. You remember Marche Oh,
1: yeah. Oh, yeah. He won the uh, 2006 Egg Bowl with the punt return. And mm-hmm. then, you know, that's when he was a receiver. He moved over to corner. Oh,
0: yeah. Marche for sure. He's coming up right now. But before we get to him, Let's hear from Modern Woodman and b B&A Bank.
1: You've walked this path many times before. It's a chance to think, especially about your future. How will you turn your retirement dreams into reality? Will you have enough gold for your golden years? Your choices for building funds for retirement can be complicated. Fortunately, you have a friend in the community who can help you make the right decisions. That's your Modern Woodman agent. Your agent is a skilled professional who will listen to your needs and desires and then work with you to create a plan that uses the right financial products to achieve your retirement goals. Build a lasting professional relationship with a trusted financial advisor. Hi, this is Thomas Chandler, your local Modern Woodman representative. Give me a call today at 662 296 zero one eight six. Let's make a difference together. Hotty toddy and go Rebs. Get in touch with your agent today. Modern Woodman of America, touching lives, securing futures.
0: The Modern Woodman phone line. Cool. We'll talk.
1: No big whoop. No big whoop. Where the best Ole Miss guests from far and
0: wide drop in to talk the very latest in Rebel sports. Modern Woodman. Let's make a difference together. This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett. at Spirit Ben on Twitter. Going now to the Modern Woodman phone line to speak to former Ole Miss defensive back, returner, one-time wide receiver Marche Green. Marshay, what's up, man? How you doing? Doing great, man. Glad to be on the show. Well, thanks for coming on. Tell the people what you're doing now.
2: Uh, basically, man, I live in Atlanta right now. I'm currently, managing a general manager of a fitness center. Um, I have a four-year-old son, so basically, man, he take up all of my time. It's the best part of my life. I mean, like you know, just seeing them grow, run around every day. So, yeah, man, that's what I'm doing right now, man. I'm raising my son.
0: Okay, do you have him already doing some football drills?
2: Every day, man. Yeah. I every know. day, man. He's doing – every day he's doing football drills, basketball drills, soccer, and he's just and he's already committed to Ole Miss.
0: See, that's great. Have you got him trash-talking already? <laughs> uh, not quite, but he's getting there, man. He's getting there, man. He be playing Madden a lot, so, you know, he's getting there. See, with you, it started with Madden because I was around you one time or when Mike <laughs> Wallace was playing, and you would – Talk trash for Mike Wallace, for example. I've told this story on this podcast before, and I played Mike Wallace. You won't remember this because you've been through so many things in your life at this point. But back in college, I played Mike. I talked crap in practice to Mike about my ability to play Madden. You basically set up the game. Me and Mike played in the IPF, and I scored the first touchdown. Then he beat me by 60, and I'd never live that down (laughs) with Mike Wallace. (laughs) He got Steve Smith and the Carolina Panthers and just beat the crap out of me.
2: Hey, man. They said, man, we played that game like every day, competed every day. And if you lose or lost, you hurt it all week until you won. So, yeah, man, that's what we did. Man, We yeah. competed in everything that we did.
0: Who was the second best trash talker on the team behind you? The second best
2: trash talker? I had to say Mike Wallace.
0: If you had to go one-on-one with him, who got the best of the other one just in practice every day? Because y'all competed against each other in everything.
2: In everything, yes. I would say it's 50-50, man. I would say it's 50-50. Some days, he got me. Some days, I got the best of him. Now, in Madden, <laughs> it's probably 60-40. Definitely 60-40.
0: Those teams are really interesting. When you came to Ole Miss, you were a wide receiver. Uh, what went into your move to cornerback?
2: Well, actually, I wasn't expected to get moved to wide receiver. One day so happened – We was finishing weights, and the wide receivers was catching balls outside. And so, you know, I just came out there to catch balls with them. And so, Coach Lubick, the wide receiver coach during the time, saw me catch balls. And so, once we finished catching balls, Coach Ogeron called me into the office. Coach Lubick was there also. And he just, you know, drilled me on about how I could be a great wide receiver. I could start right away at wide receiver if I changed my position. And so, me being a freshman and being competitive, I was like, okay, let's do it. So, that's how I became a wide receiver. Now, transitioning to DB, when Coach O got fired, Coach Nutt came in. <clears throat> and so, that spring, I was out with staph infection. So, I came back, and the wide receivers had a great uh, you know spring. And so, Coach um, Nutt asked me, if I would change my position, he'll start me right away. He thinks the defensive backs need it. And like, you know, he thinks the secondary needed or whatever. So, yeah, cool. So, you know, I changed. And so that's how I changed my
0: position to DB. What is your story with Houston Nutt? Because every player I talk to, they all have a different opinion of Houston Nutt. What are your feelings toward Houston Nutt when you look back at it? Because whatever you say about him, y'all did go to back-to-back cotton balls.
2: Yeah, man. Like, Like, look, all the other stuff I have don't really have an opinion on it. The only thing that I can go by is my time with him. All I know is that we won two combos back-to-back that kind of get overlooked for some reason. Like, you know, people don't talk about it or it's not mentioned as much or celebrated as much. I do believe my junior year was the best team of all time that ever played at the Ole Miss. Um, Coach Nutt Even though Coach Ogeron brought us there, Coach Nutt was able to put it all together and have us win two combos back-to-back. So, I'm very fond of Coach Nutt. I like him as a coach, I like him as a motivator, and I like him as a person.
0: One of those Cotton Bowls was one of your most memorable games. So, we got to go there. We got to talk about the win over (laughs) Texas Tech. The week leading up to it there was a lot of build-up. Texas Tech believing they had been slighted. They deserved better than the Cotton Bowl. Ole Miss, the way y'all closed, fired up to be in the Cotton Bowl. What was that week build-up like for you? Because you took it kind of personal, some of the crap they were throwing at y'all.
2: Definitely, man. Well, basically, I mean, they had the number one wide receiver in the country during the time. And they felt like they wasn't supposed to be playing in this game. They felt like they deserved better. But... What people don't know, we also felt like we were supposed to be playing in a bigger game and deserve to play a better opponent. But leading up to the game, I mean, like you know, it was chatter about, crap, was going to have this big game. You know, my secondary hold up Even primetime came to our practice and talked to the DBs. And he tried to motivate us, and it worked. And so, you know, we came out, man, like, you know, we came out ready, man. We came out and took care of business, man. We won the game.
0: When did you know that you had him?
2: I knew we had him when I ran the punt return back. Even though I stepped out of bounds and it didn't count as a touchdown, I could feel the momentum like completely shift and I knew he wasn't going to give it back. So when I ran the punt return back, yes.
0: What was Michael Crabtree like? Was he a trash talker like you? Did you kind of run your mouth at him the whole game? Yes.
2: He was (laughs) talking a lot of smack, but mostly laughing at me. I mean, you know, he lined up. And the first play, he just kind of glanced at me and just laughed at me. And so, you know, me being competitive, I laughed back. It was like, come on, buddy, let's do it. And so, yeah, we had a good game.
0: Did that always raise your game up if somebody kind of challenged you or felt you felt like you were slighted? Because it felt like you played that way your entire career. Facts, facts. Um, the
2: reason why I was uh, so fiery, talked to so much smack, is because I needed to bring out the best in my opponent so my opponent could bring out the best in me. I fed off that. I fed off people doubting me. I fed off, you know, beating the odds. I fed off all that. So in order for me to play at my highest level, I know that I have to talk smack and have that person bring out his best to bring out my best.
0: Who was the most challenging wide receiver you lined up against?
2: Well, actually, Mike Wallace was more challenging than Crabtree. Crabtree was kind of a more slant-dead guy. Mike could run the goal, the post, the curl, the slant, the outing up. Now, the most challenging receiver I faced in college was Percy Harmon. He was strong, he was quick, he was fast and highly competitive. So, yeah, that's the best one I faced in college.
0: Both the Cotton Bowl and the Florida game, y'all fell behind. How did y'all figure out how to win? Well... My
2: freshman and sophomore year, we played a lot of freshmen.
0: We went through the
2: fire. My freshman year, we lost the overtime game against LSU. We played Bama down to the wire. We played a lot of games down to the wire, but we just couldn't get over the hump my freshman and sophomore year. So when our junior year came around and senior year, we was ready. We knew how to handle adversity. Nothing shook us. But we knew we had the talent, Yes. That's that's the thing. We always knew that we had to tell it, always. So, yeah, man, that's
0: how we basically just approached. Yep. Okay, so Florida game. I've had this argument before. Shea believes his touchdown catch was the biggest <clears throat> play. Forty believes him blocking the extra point was the biggest play. Temp believes him stopping <clears> t <throat> on fourth down was the biggest play. Settle the debate. Which was the biggest play?
2: Come on, man. You know my defensive guy. It was Timp stopping Tim Tibo on fourth and one. Come on, look. Huh. Look, man, he's six three, two hundred and forty some pounds. The best player in college during the time in his house, in his four feet, what inches one, yep. and we mm-hmm. stop him. Mm-hmm. Come
0: on, man. Yeah, come on, it's four for one. What went into that play?
2: Well, <laughs> Coach Nix was like, "Listen, Marseille, you got this guy. Everybody else just blitz, <laughs> basically." So basically, man, it was an all-out blitz, and. I was man-to-man. Man. Simple.
0: So y'all pretty much knew that they were not going to take the ball out of Tebow's hands, that they were probably going to just run him.
2: Come on, man. It's fourth and one, fourth and inches. <laughs> Come on, man. He's the goal line back. This guy got like 27 rushing touchdowns, you know?
0: So everybody in the stadium knew Tim Tebow was getting the ball. When the clock ticks to zero, what was the response like on the sideline? We could all see it, but what was it like to be in it? It was amazing.
2: But it was expected. We knew one of these years we was going to beat one of these big-time teams, whether it was in Oxford or at their place, and everything was going to change. The whole culture of Ole Miss was going to change. When we beat Florida, everything changed. People, I mean, kids started to want to come to Ole Miss. Our games was more televised. Everything changed, man. So that was an amazing feeling. And, man, like I said, I'm glad to say I was a
0: part of it. That overtime loss to LSU, Brent Schaefer should have been the quarterback. All it did for me was settle what i have been saying. Brent Schaefer should have been y'all's quarterback every single game. Man, yeah,
2: man. Um, I think that was my first year down there playing them in Baton Rouge. Actually, man, I had like 143 yards mm-hmm. in the return game. But that game, we supposed to have been won, but we didn't win. But that was all part of the maturation, though. So, yeah, I mean, we grew from that, though.
0: For you, the art of returning a punt or returning a kick, is that a natural thing, or is that something you can learn? Because for you, it was always seemingly a natural thing.
2: Yeah, it's your mindset. You can have the best hands. If you don't have the mindset of, I'm going to catch this ball, come hell or high water, and you're not going to be able to return punts. I don't care what type of athlete you are. If you don't have the mindset, it will not work. But from high school, man, you know, I always loved returning punts. Man, I used to watch Primetime. I used to watch Peter Wart. So those are the guys that I kind of looked up to in the punt return game.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting thing, too, because returning punts can be a lonely affair. You're out there with everybody's eyes on you. If you don't believe that you're going to take every single one of them back, yeah, you can get in your, your head pretty quickly, I assume.
2: It's important for that punt returner to be 100% confident Every single time he's back there, not 98%, not 97%, not 99.9%. He has to be confident 100% that he's going to feel this ball and the offense is going to get a chance to score the ball.
0: Your most memorable return is what? I would say the return against Mississippi State in the 20-17 to 17 win because that gave y'all a lead that y'all could maintain. What was yours?
2: My most memorable return would be the Mississippi State punt return. Mm-hmm. That was my first punt return, actually gave us a lead, and won the Egg Bowl. So, you know, that's big. <laughs>
0: yeah. You know? Yeah. When was the year that y'all absolutely destroyed Mississippi State and everybody in the stadium started to feel bad for the Mississippi State quarterback? Was that 2008? Yes. 2008. Yeah. 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 You were on that defense. The defensive line, Parade, Kintrell, Gray, <clears throat> lived in the backfield. I mean, how bad was it on the field? Because it looked really bad in the stands, in the press box.
2: The year of the land shark. That's all I'm going to say, man. The year of the land sharks. From the front to the linebackers to the secondary, everybody had the same goal, dominate on defense and hold everybody accountable. Um, Greg, unblockable. Parade, unblockable. Poe coming off the bench, unblockable. Um, Ted, unblockable. Marcus Tillman kept his motor high, but that was the best defense that I've been a part of in the pros or in college my junior year.
0: Okay, your Ed Orgeron story is what? When people ask you Ed O won a national championship this year, it's kind of remarkable if you're an Ole Miss person or been around this program. When people ask you what was your Ed Orgeron story, what is your story? We'll get right back to former Ole Miss defensive back Marche Green on the modern women phone line in this edition of Talk of Champions after I tell you briefly about Mosquito Marshals, a proud sponsor of Talk of Champions. Are bugs ruining your evenings outside? Do you want to reclaim your yard from those pesky bugs? Well, Mosquito Marshals is here to help, to let their customers and their families enjoy living outside again. At Mosquito Marshalls, their top priority is to keep their customers bite-free by providing the best mosquito control services in the industry. The goal is simple, to protect their customers' homes and businesses from mosquitoes, fleas, ticks, and they stand by their results. If you're not 100% satisfied, they'll respray your yard for free. But how do I know this? Because I have first-hand experience. Mosquito marshals rode out to my house and sprayed my yard. Took them no time, and I haven't seen a mosquito since. And trust me, I'm just like you. In quarantine, all me and my daughters can do is go outside, ride a bike, play some ping-pong in the garage. Don't let a mosquito mess up your good time. No, schedule your appointment today. You can give them a call at 662-715-1818. That's 662-715-1818. Or visit Mosquito Marshals online at mosquitomarshals.com. Mosquito Marshals, serving Oxford, Batesville, Water Valley, New Albany, Pontotoc, wherever you are, they'll come to you. Mosquito Marshals.
2: My story about Coach O is... One of the well, the greatest recruiter of all time. If you check the guy' resume, you will see why <laughs> he's the greatest recruiter of all time. Fiery. When he was the coach at old Miss, he was a great recruiter, but there were some things he had to learn and like, kind of take a step back from, and he did that when he went to LSU. As you can see, kind of take a step back, got great coaches around him. And now, look, it's going to be hard for a coach to outwork him. It's going to be hard for a coach to have his players more ready than his players. And as long as he got the right coaches around him, I see him winning probably for the next four or five years, man.
0: What was he like when he came to recruit you?
2: Well, actually, it's crazy because Coach Cutcliffe was recruiting in me originally. Mm. He was recruiting in me since my sophomore year to come play running back at Ole Miss, and then coming out of high school, I didn't qualify.
0: That's right. Yeah. And
2: so right, right. And then Coach Cutcliffe resigned, I guess, and then Coach Run became the head coach. So happened. Coach Frank Wilson was on his staff as the running back coach, and. My high school team played against Coach Frank Wilson high school team my sophomore year in the playoffs. That's how Coach Frank Wilson knew who I was. Coach Ogeron saw all of my tapes, saw all of my film. He envisioned me coming there to be like a Reggie Bush type running back. So Coach O'Jeron was recruiting me to play running back too. Yeah.
0: So when he walks in, he's like, Oh hey, hey, yeah. What was what was he like in the room?
2: Well, <laughs> He called me, man, actually, but he didn't come see me. He actually called me, and, like, you know, he called me, like, every day, though, but he called me, like, early in the morning, and he was very fired up, like, he, like, he just took some, I mean, like, some pre-workout or something, but he was fired up the whole time, and his plan was, you're going to play as a freshman, so be ready, and so he was always fired up, and he was always ready to go, man, and so that's some that I took heed to, and that's something that always got me ready to play, always got me ready to practice.
0: Yeah, but when he held his first team meeting and he rips his shirt off, and you're <laughs> looking around like, you're like, what the Look, hell's man. going
2: on? <laughs> Look, man, spending two years with Coach O, ripping his shirt off <laughs> is one of the smaller things. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, man, that's all I'm gonna say about that. <laughs> uh, my
0: favorite Edo story that I was ever told was uh, – I had a coach that I was good buddies with, and he walked in early in the morning. It's like 5, 30, six in the morning, and O's already in his office, and he's studying some tape of a team coming up, and he's got coffee grains that he's dipping in his mouth, and it's like running down his mouth and onto his shirt, but he's just yelling, soft, soft, at the team in front of him that he's watching film of with coffee grains <laughs> spit rolling down his throat.
2: Hey, man, look, that's him, man. He's up at it early in the morning, got his coffee, and he's ready to go. He's 100 miles an hour, no matter what the time of the day is. It could be 6 a.m., it could be 10 p.m. He's ready to go and he's ready to talk football.
0: Okay, so uh, one of the last things before I let you go, obviously got a cup of coffee in the NFL. What was that experience like? And you and I were kind of talking about this before we sat down to record, about the experience there and and the things that um, you went through after your career came to a close. And that's something we've talked about on this podcast before be it with Kentrell or whoever's been on, that once the career's over, it's tough for former players? Yeah, man.
2: Um, My experience wasn't too good, man. Um, Going in as an undrafted guy, believing that I was and knowing that I should have got drafted, but going in as an undrafted guy, man, kind of put me behind the eight ball. And so when you go in as an undrafted guy and that label sticks on you, you don't get the chances that other guys get. Guys who are even dropping in the seventh round get way more opportunities than you because teams actually took time out and went spent time on those guys. So with me, all all the work that I put in in college, it was like didn't matter. I mean, you know those guys who came from smaller schools than me, who got more opportunities than me, who who didn't have a better track record than me, but me landing as an undrafted free agent put me in that position. So my time there was like, you know, the politics, it was a lot of stuff that I could control, even though I earned the respect of my teammates. I practiced hard. I was with one organization for three years, but never really got a shot. And <clears throat> that could be bad timing. That could be not the right system or that could have been me not knowing how to handle the situation I was in and handle everything that was happening to me. And that's a valuable lesson that I learned. Even though something is happening to you, it's how you respond to it. It's always how you respond to it. And sooner or later, if you stay persistent, stay consistent, and don't crack, it's going to break. So that's the lesson that I had to learn. And um also... Be grateful how I got there. Even though I didn't get there how I expected to, I got there. Now, make do what it do now. So, those are the lessons that I learned along with a lot of more. And so, I guess it's my experience. Playing the National Football League.
0: Yeah, for you, you could give a lot of good advice because almost didn't have a player drafted this <clears> year, <throat> which is just never what happens. And yet it happened this year, but a lot of undrafted free agents signed. Benito Jones signed with Miami, uh, Josiah Cody signed with Pittsburgh. What would you say to them as far as how they need to approach things? I would tell them expect nothing. Be grateful that you're there. Don't worry
2: about how you got there. Be grateful that you're there. There are going to come times where you feel like, am I doing enough? Just stay consistent. Don't let what's happening to you affect you, meaning that keep a smile on your face. Build relationships. That's the main thing. Build relationships. Get to know your defensive back coach. Get to know your head coach because these people don't really know you how they know the other guys. They didn't really spend time with you. So always speak to them introduce yourself every day, even if you have to go up to his face, introduce yourself to these guys, let them be comfortable knowing that they can come to you and get on to you. Also knowing that they can count on you. You might not be as talented, talented as the other guy, but you're always on time. You know your plays. The coach can count on you. Those are things that's going to separate them from the other guys and have him getting chances that he wouldn't normally get from being the undrafted guy. So yeah, that's it.
0: I can't let you go without asking you about your favorite locker room story because I got a lot of them. I've heard about Saran rapping <laughs> Ted Laurent. I've heard about Shay almost crying because he didn't get number three. I've heard about Greg with his uh, Ninja Stars or leaving for a week to go to Disney World. I mean, I've got all these stories. What's your best locker room story?
2: Man, my best locker room story. Man, it's so many. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Man, it's so many. I would say my best luck on the story would be um I would say when Mike had a little run in with Coach Nut. Um, you know, we was pretty hard, very hard on each other in anything. I don't care if you make a C on a test, we're gonna be hard on you about that. So everything you did, we kinda kept a close eye on it. So when Mike had the run in with Coach Nut, <sighs> he had a choice to pack his bags or stay, <laughs> and so before the meeting was even over with, me, and Kendrick Lewis, we ran to Mike Locker and we packed his bags. <laughs> <laughs> we had his bags already packed. We had a black, um, we had a black trash bag, and so that's probably one of my favorite stories. Yeah,
0: yeah, you Louisiana dudes, y'all are ruthless, man. <laughs>
2: Definitely, man. Definitely, man. We can beat at everything though, man. When are we gonna get Coach Marseille Green? Oh man, Coach Marseille Green, man. Honestly tell you that you had to step back and just kind of step away from the game a little bit, but now I feel like it's time. You know, I feel like it's time that I give back everything that I've learned and everything that I can help give kids in terms of knowledge, in terms of preparation. Just in terms of just ins- just in terms of inspiration, man. So, so probably in probably about a year, man, I
0: would say. Man, the words that you're going to say to them to fire them up is just going to be priceless. It's going to be too good. It's too good. I, <laughs> I know you too well, man. I, mean, I hope so, man. Yeah, hearing you talk crap to those kids will be the best thing ever. I mean, look, I just want to be out there when it happens. He's Marshay Green, former Ole Miss defensive back, all time Ole Miss great. Thanks for doing this, man. I appreciate you. We'll talk again. Hi, right, man. No problem. Thanks for having me, man.